Welcome to the Wealthy Woman Podcast, aka your holistic guide to being a wealthy woman. I'm your host, Donnie, and on this show, I talk to the dopest women experts, entrepreneurs, influencers, corporate baddies, and occasional wildcard guests while they share their wisdom from the experiences that brought them to where they are today. So let's upgrade our lives together, but more importantly, let's get wealthy. On this episode, I'm speaking with Imani Ellis. She is the founder of CultureCon, which is a huge conference that happens several times a year in multiple cities in the U.S., and it caters specifically to creatives, and it is really a hub for people of color within the creative space. Her and her team have done such an excellent job over the past few years growing this brand and building a cult following. So during this interview, I talked to her about all of that, And she gets into detail about how she grew the company and what really goes into putting on these events. So if you're somebody that is looking to throw your own events or you just want to understand how she grew the brand and got the support of huge celebrities like Tracy Ellis Ross and Spike Lee, then definitely stay tuned because she drops so many gems. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. I I think this is going to be a fun conversation because I don't get a lot of people on the show that do events or that have collectives and stuff like that. And I think um, what you do is so impactful to the culture. Um, Of course, like you run culture con, so like the, but it's like, (laughs) but literally like it's what you're doing is so impactful. And I love having people on that talk about, you know, cultivating spaces for creatives and, and just people for people of color, especially, you know? And um, so, yeah, I'm excited for this. No, me, me too. And, and thank you for your words. I think, you know, when I look back, I really just couldn't believe a space like this didn't exist. And I was looking around like, am I in the twilight zone? And so to be building something like this with my friends and showing up every day, like in service of the community, sometimes it's really surreal that that's my job. No. Yeah. Okay. So how did, how did all this start? Like what made you start the creative collective? What, how did that idea come about? Walk me through that. For sure. So I was a publicist. I was working at NBC at the time. Um, I ended up staying there for 10 years and loved my job, but I just really was looking for community and living in New York City and had great like support system, had really great friends. But I, I think when I was thinking about where do I go when I need information outside of my like direct sphere of influence? Like, where do I go if I want to learn about the different business models? Like who's done that before? I didn't have that kind of larger community, which I thought was ironic because I lived in New York City. And so invited some friends over. And the only rule, Donnie, the only rule was that you had to bring someone that you could vouch for because it was my living room. And I'm like, I can't have Joe Schmo in my living room. And so That was 10 people, 20 people, 40 people in a one-bedroom apartment. And then we moved out of the apartment and I said, listen, we should make this not only community events, but we should also do a conference, a conference where you can meet people, you can network together. It doesn't feel so forced. And that was how CultureCon was born. Okay. There's so much that you just said I want to like dive into. So (laughs) back to the one-bedroom apartment. You're in a one-bedroom apartment hosting events with 40 people. Yes. So, (laughs) Girl, we were like sitting on the floor eating tacos. It was very humble, humbling. 
I no, I love it though. Those are the best things when it's like not overly planned and like just just bring somebody and then we're just vibing. So like, what were the conversations like in those rooms? Like, what what did you guys cultivate in those moments? Yeah. So the prompt that we started with is, "What are you working on?" And it doesn't have to be work related. And I think people were kind of caught off guard because people were so ready to say, oh, wait, I can talk about something other than work, which of course you can, you're a whole person. And so some people were talking about like, I'm working on getting over this really hard breakup. I thought I'd be over it by now, but like, I still have a broken heart or I'm working on being more courageous in my life. Like right now I kind of like self-sabotage myself and I don't take on, you know, new experiences. And so people looked around and they were like, oh, we're doing that here. Like we're, we're telling the truth here. And it just felt, it just felt different. And I think what we were really doing there was building this intimacy and people were realizing they weren't the only person who struggled, you know, with um, imposter syndrome and they weren't the only person who really was looking to get promoted. And so as we've gotten bigger, we really want to make it a priority to scale that intimacy so that even when our event is 2,000, 3,000, 10,000 people, it feels like, you know, you're in a living room. That is so dope. So it sounds like it was just really authentic and just, it just flowed, right? Yeah. I love yeah. that. No, that's good. So then, okay. After that, you said you started the conference. So what was that process like for the first conference and what, what was the turnout like? Like, were you pleased with how everything went that first time? Yeah, I think my favorite thing about the first conference was it was realistic expectations. There was no expectation to make money. There was no expectation to have thousands of people. One of my friends worked at the Samsung um, studio over in meatpacking, and I think the capacity was like 200 people. And so that was our capacity. We were like, we're going to have 200 people. We're going to have maybe four panels, some breakout groups. And that was the foundation. And then what happened there was community. One of my friends worked with Spike Lee and was like, I think Spike Lee would come to this. And so Spike Lee ended up being our first ever keynote at CultureCon. Um, wow. But it was, it was incredible. We didn't have walkie talkies. We were texting each other. When I say we, I mean like me and my four friends who were like volunteering to help. It was, it was beautiful because we didn't realize what we were building just yet. I think we just thought we deserve this space. Let's give it a try. And so it was, it was really great. And what we noticed was on the waiting list, um, we had sold out, but the waiting list had over 500 people on it. And so we were like, wait, people, wow. And so the next year we went from 200 people to 800 people, then 800 people to 3000 people, then 3000 people to this year, which we're going to expect, you know, 10,000 people over two days. Wow. Just crazy. That's a lot within just a few years. Yeah. It's, and I think, you know, it's a testament of like what happens when people feel seen because that's the best marketing is a good experience. You're going to go tell your boyfriend about that. You're going to go tell your coworker about that. And so that's why we really prioritize community because it's like the center of like everything that we do. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, I think people really underestimate that. I think that's the key to any good brand is making your community feel seen. And yeah. I think like you said, from day one, y'all have done that really, really well. And Thank so you. I commend you for that. That's amazing. 
Okay, so after that, like, you've been growing this, of course, like you said, like year after year, it's just been growing like crazy. So what have been some of the things that you guys have done that has brought momentum um, to your events and to your, your brand? Yeah, I think, you know, we really lead with vulnerability. So even when we have these larger than life personalities, we don't want to just talk about the wins, right? So we have Tracy Ellis Ross talking about not liking her hair growing up, right? And it's like, wait, but you're Tracy Ellis Ross, right? Like everything about you is perfect. And so I think one of the things that's really important to us as a brand is how you feel when you interact with CultureCon. Like, do you feel inspired and empowered or do you feel like, you know, actually I can't accomplish any of these things. And for us, we really want it to be accessible. So um, I think those are kind of the biggest moments that people take with them is the vulnerability. Like from the second you step on that campus, there's no like, like there's eye contact, there's smiles. How are you? I think for us, everyone is family as soon as you're, you know, in the room. And so that's kind of what I hope is our legacy is that we were building community in such an authentic way. And I think my favorite part is like the magic that happens when you get out of the way. So you curate the space and then you actually don't put yourself in the center of it. So if you come to CultureCon, I'm probably in the corner talking to someone that I've just met. I'm not, it's not the Imani show. And I think that's another big thing is our collective is truly a collective. And um, even though our team is growing, we're up to 30 people now, we're everywhere all over the campus, which I think is um, the true testament of like what community is, is going where the people are. No, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure it's a like, it's been probably a rewarding process of growing the company, but like a lot, that's a lot to have 30 employees, <laughs> 30 people on the team. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. I love it. I love it. But oh my goodness. It's, it's, de- it's definitely, it's a privilege. Um, yeah. But it's definitely, it's definitely a lot. What has that been like for you to see? Like, of course, because I, and I'll just speak from my own experience when I was growing my business and my team and stuff initially, um, of course you think like, whoa, this is so cool. Right. But then as you're doing it, you start realizing I have to like become a better version of myself to support these people and to make sure that they are able to do their jobs well. And like, have you, it, has there been any like reflecting that you've had to do or anything internally that you've had to work on in order to be a better boss to your team? Oh, absolutely. And I think you just, you just articulated that like so perfectly because I think having a team is similar to like being in a relationship. It's, it holds a mirror up to you. So like you were a great leader, um, you know, when you had two employees, but that version of leadership and the version of leadership, when you can't talk to every single person every single day, it's a different level. And so I'm constantly reading and checking in and kind of setting up things into place where there is always feedback flowing because it's just really important to understand how people, again, are interacting with your culture. Because as the CEO and the founder, you're going to love it forever. It's, it's a part of your DNA. And you can't expect someone who's just been hired to understand all that historical. So like, how are you making sure that they feel empowered and they have a voice? And, and then there's all the administrative stuff, right? I think at first I dreaded it. I just was like, this is boring, blah, blah, blah. I don't, And now I really, really look forward to it because if you're just a creative 
and you have no idea what's going on under the hood, it's not really a business just yet, right? And I think in order for things to be a business, you've got to create a well-oiled machine that makes profit. And, and I think for me, I think we've been really focused on how do people feel when they show up to work? And is that reflective of what we're saying we are when we show up in the world? And if those two things are aligned, then I can sleep at night. Mm, no, that's, that's really good. That's really good advice for anyone that's listening in this, like, you know, in that process right now, even if you just are hiring your first employee, like that's yes. something really to like consider, like she said, that's really good. Okay. So when I'm like, I kind of want to go in two different directions, but we'll touch on both. We'll touch on both. So, because as you were speaking about that, that made me think of like company culture, right? And when you're growing a company and building the culture within your team, but then I'm like, I also want to talk about like the culture of your events and how you develop Ooh. the culture of your community because this is culture con. So <laughs> okay, so because we're already talking about um, employees and stuff, what are some main things that you did to like develop the culture within your team so that everyone is kind of like on the same page, even though everyone can't talk to each other all the time? Yeah, I think it's finding a really good balance between efficiency and creative freedom. So, you know, I come from a corporate background. I was doing corporate work for 10 years. And I think that that structure has been really great to how efficient our team is. We're always trying to fine tune processes because I don't, I came from a place where I was working all the time. Like from the moment I woke up to the second, I didn't, I never had, I never didn't have my phone. And I wanted a culture where the team could truly enjoy the weekends. They weren't working on the weekends. And so in order to empower them, that's what we expect, that you're free on the weekends, that you're taking your summer Fridays. That means we've got to be as efficient as we can during the work week. Um, because you don't get brownie points from me from, for working at 10 o'clock at night. That tells me that you're actually not being very efficient because you should be able to get this done during the day. This isn't work that goes into the night. And so it's rethinking it that like, there's no brownie points for like not having a life. There's no reward for like suffering. And I think I used to think that there was, um, to be quite honest with you. And so I'm kind of out learning that. And so we constantly, I'm constantly talking to my direct reports. They're constantly extracting, you know, information from, you know, their direct reports. We have town halls every quarter where we do suggestions, what's working, what's not working, what's performing. Um, and it's all of that might sound a little corporate for a creative organization, but what we found is that our team loves having a little bit of structure. They like having reviews and knowing like, how am I doing? And so I just try to balance it with radical empathy because we're humans at the end of the day, but I have high expectations. And those two things together, I think, is the culture that we're building, which is we really enjoy each other's company. We kiki. It's fun. It's great. But everyone is a high performer on the team. Um, and so you can't really have one without the other to be successful on this team. Like you could be fun in games, but if you can't do your work, it's, it's not going to work, to be quite honest. So. No, yeah, I agree. And that's <laughs> and that's such a good point that you brought up about the efficiency. Cause I used to always look at that too. I'd be like, 
paying attention to when I'm receiving emails from them and what, you know, like if I'm getting emails from you at 11, like what are you, what's going on? Why are you emailing me at 11 like, p.m.? No, that is not the brownie point you think it is. Like you should be like, yeah, you should be watching Succession at 11 o'clock. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I was big on that, like having those boundaries because it's like, I want to have those boundaries too. I don't want you hitting, texting me at you know 10 p.m. Right. Like, uh-uh, no. <laughs> Absolutely. And there are times, you know, I think, you know, it, there are, I know we're going to talk about events in a second. There mm-hmm. are times where you do need to flex up and you will need yes. to be flexible, but yes. every day can't be a fire drill. Like that's not sustainable. And so we really want our culture to feel like a marathon so that when it's time to sprint, you've got some reserved energy. You haven't been like burning the midnight oil like every day forever. That's a good analogy. Yes, it should feel like a marathon. I love that. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna save that one. I'm gonna put that in my back pocket. <laughs> okay, so moving into the events. So, what were some key things that you guys did to develop the culture and make people feel comfortable, make people feel at home with your events, and just feel like they fit right in? Yeah, you know, I did a lot of. I really believe in like mosaic theory, which is basically just extracting like different experiences that inform you know, your final decision. And for me, I just thought about so many different experiences that one I really liked or made me really uncomfortable. And I brought all of that into a lot of the like foundational DNA of the event. And so think about the first day of school. The first day of school, everyone's nervous, but we're kind of low-key excited to be there. And what happens? The teacher makes you all do an icebreaker. And even though you roll your eyes like, oh, this is so dumb, you're secretly kind of happy for it because it gives everyone an excuse to like work together. And so I remember kind of having this love hate experience with icebreakers because I was like, this is so cringy, but we all collectively have to do it. And therefore like we're all in it together. And so we do a lot of icebreakers at culture con and creative collective and everyone at first like, wait, but I'm grown. Like what? But they secretly love it. And so we've done things like Cardi B bingo, where you come and you get a bunch of little emoji stickers of like Cardi B and you have to fill out like a bingo card. And like the first, like, like just random things we've done, um, Jenga competitions, Uno competitions, um, shoot your shot competitions, dating nights, like just things that are a little bit different. And I think people are kind of like, wait, I thought this was a conference, but it is, but we want you to feel relaxed. We want you to feel at home. And so at the last culture con, we had a living room activation that was modeled after my living room where the first ever kind of creative collective took place. And people were able to like to sit in the living room and meet other people. And so Throughout our event, we kind of um, interweave these really playful moments and um, really invite adults to kind of find their inner child and play and be silly. And I think a lot of um, really meaningful connection can happen when you're not so like tense and in your head and you're able to just kind of just let loose a little bit. So I think that's a lot of the um, razzle dazzle that we sprinkle on per se is like, just like, listen, have a little bit of fun. That's cute. That's adorable. I I didn't know y'all did that. That mm-hmm. is so cute. <laughs> yeah. Like it's, um, 
it's different. I feel like once you, you know, we yes. say adulting and we we're like, oh, it's so hard here. So like, why not, you know, get a little nostalgic and yeah, just like take life a little less seriously. Yes. Cause also too, I think when people like, you know, of course there, there's going to be people from all walks of life coming to your event and some of them are probably so anxious and they're like yes. nervous to meet people and stuff. And so just to do something like that, but it's like, you know, about topics that are fun. It's not like a cheesy game. Like that's, that's cute. I love that. <laughs> Thank you. Y'all did a good job with that. <laughs> so, okay. When you are um, planning the events, I know that there's like so many things that go into these events, especially as it's gotten bigger. Cause now you guys are hosting thousands of people, which is insane. Like to yeah. see that growth that quickly, like y'all are really doing something right. So what goes into all of that, like behind the scenes of like planning and booking guests and all of that. Like, can you walk me through what that process is like? For sure. So CultureCon is about a 10 month planning process, which, you know, if you do the math, that means that as soon as it's over, you get about a month and a half break before you start soft planning the next year. Um, and it really just starts with the format. So how many cities do we want to go to? How big do we want to get? Um, and we're using a lot of historicals from the previous year. So like, mm -hmm. how quickly did we sell out? We look at the data from our app. What conversations do people like the most? What conversations do people like the least? And that's some of my favorite time is like the planning of like, just how can we kind of learn from, from last year? We also do focus groups. So a big part of the planning are the focus groups. We've got folks who have been coming to CultureCon since day one. We've got folks who, you know, are just showing up for the first time and we'll do targeted focus groups on everything from programming, brands, food, connection. People will just, this is what we liked. This is what we didn't like. And I love our community because they're going to tell you how it is, you know, and it's great because you can go straight to the source. Um, so then once we've collected and like aggregated all the data, all the learnings, all the North Stars that's when we really move into production and just figuring out, okay, like did the talent flow work last year? Was the security plan tight? How many food trucks? All of those things simultaneously while production is moving, our programming team is doing the same thing. So that's our talent team, um, our social team. They're figuring out what are we going to talk about? So we've got the talent team who's fielding all the talent requests, our marketing team who's driving all of the programming, and we're having weekly meetings and everyone's coming with their like respective responsibilities, dropping it in the gumbo pot and it's like getting thicker and thicker. And then we move towards an announcement date. And once the announcement is, is out, it's just chugging along. Um, and, you know, my friend Amber, who was our first ever project manager, she created this kind of um, cadence where at first she'd say, all right, guys, it's a nice walk. Then it would be a brisk walk. Then we'd move into a jog, then a light jog, then a sprint. And she, she did a really great cadence because, again, you don't want to be on high alert all year long. That's just not a way for your body to live. And so we really try to keep it fun. But now we're three and a half weeks out from CultureCon LA. So it's absolutely a sprint. We are every day, there's like a thousand decisions to be made, but it gets, it does get easier. 
because you start to see the same kind of like obstacles and opportunities once you've done it a few times. So I'm thankful for that. I really am. Yeah, I'm sure it's like a muscle. It's like once you've done it, you know, you start, you know, getting a little stronger, getting a little quicker. And now you can make decisions easier. You know how to solve problems quicker. It's like, oh, I've been there. Okay, let's just do this and then move on to the next thing, right? (laughs) Absolutely. It's like, oh, we've done this. And I will always say like, you know, it's the Glennon Doyle quote, which is we can do hard things. And so Mm. I will just say we can do hard things all the way through culture con season um, until we've done the hard thing, which I, I really love that quote. No, I love that too. That's a really good quote, actually. I need to it's like write so that down. simple, <laughs> but it's like I can do hard things. I can do hard things. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. yes. so simple, but it's like you need that affirmation sometimes to oh, remind absolutely. yourself. Yeah. So okay, now I'm sure it's like because you've, you've built all these connections, you've built this name for the brand. You know what I mean? Like every, everyone that I know knows what CultureCon is. Like no one, I don't think anyone's confused about what your, your event is, (laughs) but I'm sure there was a time where it was like, that wasn't the case, you know, when y'all first started the event. So what, what do you feel like you guys um, did to like, kind of, especially in the beginning or so, to kind of build up your name or to get people to really trust you like sponsors and speakers. Cause I know, you know, with, when securing speakers, sometimes it's like a thing of, it's not just about, Oh, can you pay me to be there? It's like, do I want to be associated with this, you know, event or, you know, and sometimes, you know, they might feel like, I don't know what this is. So no, or (laughs) same with sponsors, you know? So what did you guys do in the beginning to kind of get them to trust you and believe in what you're doing? Yeah, I mean, the transfer of trust is always tricky, right? Because I think trust comes with consistency. And so in the beginning, I almost had like a naivete, to be honest. Like, I just was like, oh, this is going to happen. I just like knew. I was like, this is going to happen because we're consistently working towards it. And I think people can feel that um, confidence. Even if your voice is shaking a little bit, I think you pair that confidence with consistent like results and people are like, okay, it's, it's happening. And so when that elevator opens and you get an opportunity, I think it's remembering that you might not get a second one. And so what I mean by that is when Spike Lee volunteered his time to be the first ever celeb to come to CultureCon, we had to make sure it was an experience that was just the best that we could do. So we had a spikely room that was themed. I stayed up till two in the morning, spray painting these huge letters that said spikely. I mean, it was, I was probably like intoxicated off that paint. It was like in my apartment, but it was, it was amazing. And he walked into the room and was like, whoa, because it was like a whole room dedicated to him. And so he left that. And because of that, you know, he left that experience doing all of our portraits for us, giving us testimonials, doing our video content. He had a really great time. And so um, Eric, who leads our talent team and our talent team in general, you know, they're really able to get people to trust them because they're trustworthy. And I think our entire team just produces at a very high level. And so that's kind of what I was saying when I was saying like, we have a lot of high performers. So everyone from production to talent to marketing, they don't take themselves too seriously, but they take their job seriously. And and it's important that CultureCon starts on time. That's a big thing to me. And I'll never forget the first year 
um, a young woman came up and she was like, I can't believe you started on time. And I was like, well, why not? I knew why not, but that's important. And so how you do anything, I think is how you do everything. And when you come to culture con, it feels like you're coming to the today show. You're coming, you're going to your dressing room. We have a step and repeat, we have a schedule. And so for anyone out there who's throwing events or building events, the details is, is what's gonna speak for you. So if your event starts at six, it cannot start at 6.15. It's gotta start at six. And so you've gotta do everything that you can to make sure that when your name is on something, there's like a standard attached to it. Now that might mean starting a lot smaller. That might mean you start with a dinner and not a conference, um, which is what I tell everyone. They see culture con, but it really didn't start as culture con. It started as living room meetups that started on time. So yeah, mm. that's kind of what goes into our kind of event and our culture of the event. It really is a team effort and um, everyone who's doing their respective role on our team is a genius. Like I just get out of their way and I'm just like, wow. Like it's like the Avengers in here. I love it. That just, that just speaks to how good you are at hiring and picking people and cultivating a really good team because not every team is like that. So. <laughs> yeah. They're really special. Yeah, that's a reflection of you. So yeah, you should you should definitely be proud. Uh, so I know that like, you know, when you're doing these events, like you said, it's it's a lot going on, and you have a team of thirty people now. So on the day of the event, what are some things that you guys are doing to make sure that everyone is like on their A game, everyone's ready to go, they're sharp, you know, and like so CultureCon can go off without a hitch. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> so by the time it's event day. I'm sorry. By the time it's event day, the show is, it's, that's everything that's been practiced for is going. And so what we really do, you know, and I used to run track and one of the, um, you know, things that they don't really tell you about, you know, you see the, the hurdles and the sprints, but the most important part of training is conditioning and conditioning is what you do in the winter months when it's not sexy and hot outside. That's when you're building up your muscles and learning how to build endurance. So conditioning for us is really what's happening all of those weeks and months leading up to culture con. That's when we're going through the run of show. We're literally like playing it piece by piece, play by play. Um, we do a walk through the night before, but by the time it's Saturday of culture con and everyone's in their spot, I actually don't get to talk to most of the team until mm. after culture con, because I'm talking to clients. I'm talking to friends. I'm talking to press and everyone is moving like a machine. Culture con is one of my favorite days. And I'll tell you last year was one of my proudest moments because my project manager, Sunny said, um, you know, we're all there the night before with our walkie talkies and Sunny's assigning people walkie talkies. And I go toward to get mine. And she's like, oh no, you don't get a walkie talkie this year. And I'm like, oh, what? No, I, I need, I need to know what's going on. And she's like, nope. And so last year I walked around culture con, I got to really see it. I got to talk to people. I got to give my parents a tour. I didn't hear a single thing in my ear. That was the first time that it happened in five years. And it's just a testament of this team is just very, very strong. And they kicked me off the walk. They kicked me out of my own group chat, which is crazy. That but is crazy. I love it here. 
Yeah. No, that's so good. Yeah. So it's, it's a beautiful thing to see. And, um, and I think it's been such progression over the years from me texting everyone, Spike Lee's here to not even being on the walkie, but the whole day runs on time. Yeah. That's huge. And I've, I'm sure it feels like like you're like a proud parent almost like oh yeah. my baby's all grown up and what, like culture con I'm like she's a teenager she's about to go off to college like I yeah. don't even I don't even know her and she's like mom I can drive myself thank you thank you <laughs> like, hey. oh my gosh she doesn't need me anymore no that's so dope though like seriously even the fact that your team took the initiative to do that to surprise you with that and be like no no no. We got it. Like, we want you to see how we can run things. And, you know, this is not going to fall apart if you're not on the walkie talkies, right. you know, monitoring everything. <laughs> right. And and for, you know, founders who are looking to scale, that's necessary. Yes. Because if you're still in the weeds, approving every little thing, everything has to go through you. Nothing can go out the door unless you see it. You're never going to be able to scale that because you can't reproduce yourself. And so if people are taking initiative and you're training them and you trust them, you've got to empower your team to be leaders because I, I meet so many founders who are just burnt out on both ends. They've got to show up to the world and to clients as a CEO, but they're still scheduling their own calendar and writing every single pitch deck because it has to be in their voice and something has to give. And so I think that walkie talkie was an S was just a great, um, example of letting things go that actually no longer need your hand so that you can go out into the world and continue to spread the gospel about your your business. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think too, um, I think that's one of those things that goes back to like some internal stuff that you have to work through because a lot of people just struggle with that in all areas of their life of wanting to have control, you know? Yeah, and it's hard. It's hard when you feel like, that is just something that saves you or makes you feel safe when you have control. But with your business, that is just one of those things where if you want to grow, you have to be trusting of the people you put in place to support you and to be there. Like you have to believe that they're actually going to show up for you. So the fact that you're able to do that is just like, that's so liberating, I'm sure. And it probably feels so good. Yeah, it feels good eventually. It doesn't feel good in the beginning. So I won't lie. In the beginning, to your point, if control makes you feel safe, then giving it up will make you feel vulnerable and a little off your kilter. Mm -hmm. But the reward, being able to go on a vacation, yes, yes, yes. the business (laughs) should not come to a screeching halt because you took a few days off. So that I think is kind of what propelled me forward was I can't always be the one who makes all of these decisions. I have so many brilliant people around me. So yeah, you got it. I trust you. Right. Right. (laughs) Right. Easier said than done. No, exactly. Exactly. I'm sure. Uh, So yeah, I'm sure that like over the, over the years, because like you said, this has been growing everything's been going really good like there's so many wins that you guys have had but I'm sure there's also been some lows or some things that just did not pan out the way that you wanted them to and so what has that been like handling those moments and what do you do to like maintain your ability to move forward yeah I think you know when you are kind of and I call it the valley right Mm -hmm. which is just kind of and the valley could be 
do I keep doing this? Where's the traction? Does anyone else care? Am I, have I drank all the Kool-Aid and no one else cares? Um, I think that it's important both in the valley and the hilltop to not believe your thoughts so much. I think you need three key people in your life to help you stay on balance. I think you need a mentor and this doesn't have to just be one person. This can represent a group of people, but people who can kind of help you see the higher place. And maybe if they're not exactly in your business, they're, um, they're in the orbit of your business. They know something about building teams, building structure, building processes. Um, you also need an advocate. This can be someone who has, who knows nothing about your business, but they believe in you. So this could be family member, best friend, boyfriend, girlfriend, partner, um, who's just like, Imani, I know you can't see yourself like I see you right now, yeah. but you can do this. Um, and then you need, I would say, kind of like a coach. This is someone who can be a little bit more tactical. So like your mentor might not be in your area or of expertise, but your coach should have some experience of what you've done in your area of expertise because they can help you be realistic. Are you freaking out for no reason? Is this actually pretty normal and you shouldn't be freaking out? And so those kind of three people in your life slash categories, I think can help you when you're in your low place because it's going to happen. And I think now when it happens, I actually kind of sit in it for a while. Cause I'm like, Ooh, I was so high. That's how I know that I'm coming down because this is going to pass. And sometimes sitting in that Valley can help you become vigilant to what you need to be thinking about. So if you're really worried about attendance numbers, if you're really worried about the experience, use some of that like doubt, to like course correct that you're thinking about all of those things um, because you don't want to be so like this event's going to be perfect that you're not in a real world. So I don't know if that answered the question, but I think what I do in those moments is I spend time with myself. I spend time with God. I look back at all the things I've come through and I use those as testimonies that like I've done hard things before. Mm -hmm. And I just remind myself that the pressure is a privilege. Like this Ooh. is not the first or the last time that's going to be hard, but that I'm built for this. And then I say a prayer and I go to sleep. <laughs> that was a bar. The pressure is a privilege. That's yes. so beautiful because yes, it, that's so true because it's like you, at the end of the day, no matter what's happening, you're living in, an answered prayer you're living in a manifestation of your creative dreams right so it's like ultimately if you've made it this far you can make it further and you have to realize like even to be in this spot and feeling this pressure you wouldn't even be feeling it if you know what I mean like if you didn't make yeah. it to this point so that is yeah. a privilege you wouldn't even feel it and and I you know when I'm, when I'm also in the valley and I've been asking a lot of folks this question when I'm in the valley I like to read about other people who had really hard times like that makes me feel like I can do anything because it's like anyone who was great took some sort of risk and so I ask myself okay so Imani okay, this is too hard for you. Cool. So do you want to just, you know, sit at home and make cookies all day and that be your whole right. life? There's nothing wrong with making cookies all day, 
but I know that that's not my calling. And so am I going to sit in regret or am I going to feel a little bit of discomfort and push through it? And I think when I have to choose between those two things, I'm like, girl, you know, if it wasn't this, it would be something else. That's just how you're built. And so, yeah, I, I think I thought that, you know, with time, there'd be less valleys. I don't know if that's true. I think though you become more well-equipped to handle them though. Yeah. I used to think that too. I used to have this belief that if I was operating in my purpose, I was, you know, doing what God asked me to do and, you know, making impact. I was like, okay, it has to get easier. I have to see rewards. Right. And then I realized I can see rewards, but also still be struggling with things at the same time. It doesn't get totally. easier. <laughs> oh my gosh. Right. It's, it's crazy. And it's like, yeah, it's like the only way out is through because it's like, yes. you want to just sit in it and be like, okay, this will pass me now. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no action is what is going to get you out of this. And so exactly. when I'm stressed, I actually don't freeze. I perform, um, mm, which is good. really interesting. I know some people when they're stressed and paralyzed, they're like, I'm gonna just go take a nap. And when I wake up, mm-hmm. maybe it'll be a little bit easier to digest. For me, I infuse my life with like action. So when I start to get anxious or like I feel the like culture con dread is what I call it, comes around three weeks out when I start to feel that, I'm like, okay, where's my list? And I just like push through it. Yeah, I'm like the fact that we're even doing this interview is like crazy. (laughs) Because you're three weeks out right now. Yes, right now. So as soon as I get off all of my list. No, that no, I think that that is really um, commendable. And I know, like, I don't know that maybe there's probably a mental health specialist that's listening and like, no, that's not the right way to handle it. But I think ultimately, that is better than laying in your bed and allowing your feelings to take over and to to create some narrative in your head that is not necessarily true. And you know, because like, that can make you paralyzed, you know? And I will say, you know, I I think it's a both and, which I think goes back to just like trusting yourself because there are times when, you know, it's four o'clock and I, and in the past, maybe I would have said, you need to go till six, but I know myself to say, that's all, that's all I've got. I am going to go lay down. But I think it's when you're running away from things, like if it's like, oh, things get hard, I'm running away, I'm going to sleep. Like, then I think we need a course correct, but there are times where it's like, I just got to rest actually, because I don't have anything else to give, but, but yeah, I I just do want to give a disclaimer that like, I think you have to find the balance. And I think that only comes from like knowing yourself and, and not, um, not prescribing to like, there's so many different ways to do wellness and to take care of yourself. And mm-hmm. for some people, it looks completely different than, um, than maybe how it looks, you know, for, for me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally get that. I feel you because yeah. I, and I think too, for some time, sometimes for some of us, it can look different in different seasons, you know, like for me there, I've definitely had many seasons like that where it's like, my anxiety's rising. Okay. Let me knock stuff off my list. Let me just get things done and power through. Uh, But then there's other seasons where I remember, like, my anxiety was so crippling, you know? And so it just, you know, it ebbs and flows. But I think ultimately doing what works for you in that moment, especially in times like this, if you have an actual event that is happening on a certain day, like, there's no going back, you know? No. (laughs) 
it's coming. Like that that works in your favor to be, you know, on top of things. But yeah. So um, I know there's people listening to this that are probably in a space where they want to do something really cool like this, where they want to put on events or create spaces for creatives or just do something creative in general for entrepreneurship. And they might be a little nervous. They might be doubting and feeling like, I don't know if that's, you know, stable or sustainable, or I don't know if that really makes sense for me. Like, what would you say to those people that are doubting that? And what made you push through in those moments, like you said, when you were feeling like, you know, ooh, should I, should I stop doing this? (laughs) Yeah. You know, I would say, you know, and I'm sure they've heard this before, but I would really ask them about their why. Um, Because events and building teams and building large communities, um, it's not for the faint of heart. It's it's really hard. Um, and I think it's important to not discourage people, but to ask yourself, like, do I want to start a community or do I want to be a part of a community? Because I actually went out into the world and I wanted to join. Like, I wanted to be like, the event chair of an existing place. But what was happening was when I was going to these organizations, I just was like, oh, I wouldn't do it like that. Or isn't anyone going to turn on the music or Ugh, like, and, and I'm not someone to go to places and just like complain about it. And so mine came out of, wow, like, I don't see this in the world. Let me create it. But I think as people are like looking to build things, first, I would just ask themselves, you know, one, why am I doing this so that I can be the founder of something? Or am I doing this because I really want to stop something? Those are two very different things. And those are questions that only come from within because I definitely meet people on both ends of the spectrum who are like, this is such a big passion of mine. Like I have to do it or I would die. That's how, you know, you have to do it. If, if you have to get it out of you, then you should do it. If it feels like eh, I could do this or I could go to Home Goods and Target, you probably shouldn't do it. And not saying that everyone shouldn't follow their dream, but I think that there's been this narrative push that everyone needs to be an entrepreneur and everyone needs to be their own brand and everyone needs to be a CEO. And I don't think that's realistic, if I'm being honest with you, Donnie. I think that some of us are great operators, meaning that like we go into places and we shake it up and we're really efficient. That doesn't mean we all want to be the chief executive officer. And so, again, what I would say to someone is to really start with their why. Like, why do I want to put this into the world? What's pushing me to do it? Does it already exist and I can support it? Or does it not exist? And I actually need to be the one who brings it into the world. And once you've answered those, then it's just about consistency because everything in the beginning, nobody cares in the beginning. No one cared about Creative Collective in the beginning. And um, that's fine. They shouldn't have. There were so many different things to care about, but I knew that I didn't see it in the world. And when I brought together this team, they could feel it too. And so I think that's kind of what I would leave them with is, um, is there why? Mm, That's actually really good. I think, because like you said, I hear people say that a lot, but the way you broke it down, it really puts it into perspective. And I think that that is really so important because you're right. Sometimes 
you're thinking I want to do this thing, but it's for really for a different outcome, right? Like, like, like you said, it's really just to be a founder. It's really just to say I did X, Y, and Z, but it's like, is that really what you want to do? And also too, sometimes you start doing things and you realize I built something that I don't like or that I don't enjoy. I don't even like this. Or here's my favorite, or I just want to work for myself. I just, and, and I'm like, okay, no problem. But just know that you're going from working a nine to five to working a 24 seven. Like right. I just want, I, and so, Let's and so sometimes I, I think, you know, this idea of this dream job, it's like, if you like your job and you're good at your job and your job pays you well, we all don't have to find all of our purpose in Ooh. our job. Your yeah. purpose could be steeped in how you treat people when they interact with you. It doesn't always have to be the same thing. And so culture con is all about building a full life, not mm-hmm. just a full job. And so a lot of times when people are like, but my job doesn't give me my purpose. I'm like, I think it was a marketing ploy that it ever was supposed to. It doesn't always work that way. And so sometimes you do get really lucky and it's like, I'm doing purposeful mission-based work but sometimes you're doing a really good job and your purpose is in other areas of your life. So that's another thing I just had to put out there because um, I just don't want people jumping out of their nine to fives during a recession and being kind of heartbroken that now they don't have a paycheck yeah. and they're stressed. That's a different kind of stress. And when I had a full-time job, people kept saying, you're not a real entrepreneur until you leave your job. And I was like, I don't agree with that. Like, I think that I'm able to make really clear long-term decisions because I'm not stressed financially. And I think the reason that CultureCon has longevity and we didn't just do everything at once was because I was able to think, okay, what do I want this to look like in five years? Not how can I get a bunch of money today? And so that's just something to think about if you are thinking about, you know, leaving your leaving your job anytime soon is like, what what do the next few months look like for you if you were to do that? Yeah, I think, and I think that's the problem sometimes <laughs> because with, um, I'll say with social media and, you know, with everyone always sharing, oh, like, I hate to say it, but oversharing sometimes <laughs> about how things are going in their business and how things just took off immediately. It's like we love to like push those stories to the forefront. But the reality is nine times out of 10 with most creative projects, like like courses, you know, stuff like that. Okay, yeah, mo- nine times out of 10, you can make quick money with that. But if you're doing something more creative, like a podcast or an event or something like that, nine times out of 10, you're going to be working at that for a while until that is your full-time thing and it could be years right and so you have to really because it's it's like you're compromising the integrity of it when you put so much pressure on it to you know to perform a certain way and to sustain you and it really it it doesn't allow you to make choices from a clear headspace, like you said. And yeah. so that right there can really mess up your trajectory as well because you're not really giving it the same, you know, just giving it the same space you would if you weren't putting pressure on it. Yeah. And and I don't and I don't want people to feel discouraged. I think that so many dreams are planted inside of us. It's just really setting ourselves up for success with like actionable goals. So, you know, I think we break our own hearts when we're like, 
oh, like this is going to take off in, in two months, right? Instead of saying, you know what, I'm going to reserve the handle on Instagram this week. In the next two weeks, I'm going to have a website. And the next like month, I'm going to tell three people about it. So I just think it's kind of like setting yourself up for success with like realistic goals and, and, and to not be discouraged. Like you said, if it doesn't immediately take off, like if you set your sights on a project and you completed that project, it's successful. And I think, you know, us all kind of betting on ourselves and being courageous is kind of, that's the victory and, and not kind of like the, the social media version. That's like, now I'm on a private jet. Cause I just don't, I mean, are they really on a private jet? You know, you can like right. pay for like prop photos of private jets. Do you know? Yeah. You can even rent one for like a few hundred dollars a okay, day. I did not like, there's that. like an app where you can do that. So yeah, it's just not, yeah. Like comparison is the thief of joy. So you just yeah. have to ask yourself, like, can I go to sleep with the person that I am? And if that, the answer is yes, you're already winning. You really are. No, absolutely. And I'll tell y'all a little secret. All the people that I know that are very flashy online, like the people I know personally, they don't even act like that in real life. They don't even like those things, but it's because that's what we react to. That's what gets them engagement. And that's why they do it. But in real life, they don't even care about that stuff. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. That's so funny. Yeah, that's the sad part is it's like we're sitting here comparing our lives to those people and they don't even care about that stuff. They're they're just doing it to get your attention. So, you know, don't fall into that trap at all. (laughs) Right. But okay, so. With CultureCon, um, I know you you guys book some amazing people, right? Like we mentioned before. And like even um, like the people you've had this year coming up, like you guys have some really exciting speakers and guests. Like you've even had Blake Newby, which is um, a person that I've interviewed on the show as well. So like- We love Blake, yes. Yes, Blake is amazing. So who is like your dream- guest or dream speaker to have because y'all have had some big names like Tracy Ellis Ross like y'all have all the people okay good question um I would say my dream would probably be President Barack Obama my forever president I just think he's amazing or Donald Glover I really am such a fan of, of Donald Glover and how he just refuses to be in a box. He was like, I'm an actor. No, I'm a rapper. No, I have a creative studio. No, I have an Emmy. Like, I just love that he's always kind of um, uh, evolving over time. And I think that's how our lives should be is that, you know, as we look over decades of our lives, we're not in the same place for forever. So those are my two. Those are two really good ones. I would be so excited to hear either of them. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Yeah. So, okay. Going forward, what do you see for CultureCon? Like, what do you want this to grow into moving forward? Because y'all have already grown it so much. It's like, what more can you do? But I'm sure there's a lot that you have in your head that you want to see this, you know, see come into fruition. So what are you, if you can tell me, like, I know sometimes people don't like to share, but if you can, give me a little. Yeah, I mean, I think for, for me, it's definitely going deeper into the community. I think 
Um, we want to be where the people are and asking them what they want. And a lot of that is like tactical and tangible resources. And so thinking through, you know, what it would look like to allow people to take CultureCon home with them. A lot of those like gyms and tools and workshops. So we're working on some fun things. Um, but yeah, I'm excited for that. Ooh. Okay. Yeah, that's exciting. And I think getting into product business and all of that, like, I think that is really good. And like you said, it's, it's always good to ha like have something tangible that people can take with them. So yeah, I, I love that. I'm excited. Mm -hmm. Ooh. Okay. So this is a question I ask everyone that comes on the show because it is the wealthy woman show. So I have to ask you, what does it mean to you to be a wealthy woman? Ooh, to be a wealthy woman. I think you are full in so many ways. You're spiritually full, you're mentally full, your relationships are full, and your pocketbook is full. And you have a freedom um, that gives you peace. And I think peace is the ultimate currency of how I want to move through this life. And, you know, you can gain the world, but lose your soul. I don't want that. I need to be able to sleep at night. And so for me, um, above all the things of fullness, it's a peace that like surpasses understanding. I think that's what makes you really wealthy. I mean, you better speak them scriptures. Okay. Listen, <laughs> listen, I, I do what I can. Yes. No, I love that. And actually it's so funny because like the last couple people that I've interviewed, they all took it to the spiritual side, which people normally when they answer that question, they're like freedom. They're like, I just want to make sure that I can have freedom of time, money, resources. And it's like now we're getting to the spiritual side. And I love that because, yes, my spirit needs to be full. Okay. I need to be. <laughs> because you, I mean, think about it. We've seen so many examples of people who are, you know, financially so, so, so full mm -hmm. and so empty inside. Like what a, what a waste, right? To like yeah. get to the top of the mountaintop and not even want to be there. And so mm -hmm. it makes you want to reverse engineer. Okay. If I were to get to the mountaintop, how can I make sure that like, I want to be there. And I think it's, you got to make sure that the insides match the outside. So I, I do think that our generation is starting to catch on that it's a balance because, yeah. um, yeah, I think we've seen so many examples of people that look great on the outside, but they're hurting. They're hurting on the inside. Yes. Yeah. A lot of us are. And it's so unfortunate. But, you know, like you said, I think there's like an awakening and people are like, OK, I need to prioritize this. Like everything is not about money. Everything is not about accomplishing things. It's like you have to have that balance, you know, so. Yeah, Absolutely. that was a good answer. That was so good. <laughs> well, Imani, this has been a wonderful interview. I've really enjoyed talking to you. So how can people um, follow you? How can people get immersed in CultureCon and the Creative Collective? And also to tell us about the event that's happening later this month. <laughs> yes, so you all can follow um, us on CultureCon on all handles. I'm at Imani Imani with a double I in the middle. And CultureCon LA is coming up. We're going to be at Rolling Greens in Los Angeles on Saturday, June 17th. And CultureCon week is the 14th through the 16th. So we're going to have happy hours and screenings and parties with HBO Max. It's going to be amazing. And then the big conference is all day on Saturday. So tickets are going. We're almost sold out, but we have a few more left. Um, if y'all want to roll up to CultureCon. Yay. Okay, y'all. Y'all better get your ticket. I 
this is one of those events where it's like you just have to experience it. So it's, you got to come. You got to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>